Hi, I'm Matt Lieb. And I'm Vince Mancini. And this is Pod, Pod Yourself, Yourself the Wire. Wire. A The Wire podcast where Vince Mancini and I go through every single episode of The Wire and, and talk, talk about, about it. it. Want to thank everyone out there for listening to this podcast and giving it five stars and review on all of the podcast apps. And I want to thank everyone out there who's watching the show on YouTube. All 15 of you are really doing God's work. We thank you for, you know, seeing what we look like when we pod, which is... Maybe um, you should be on a watch list, but you know what? You're on our watch list. That's that's right. And we're happy to be on your watch list. Watch out. We're coming for your children. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, no. And uh, hey, you know, if you're someone who's listening to this and you're like, there's a YouTube channel. Yeah, there's a YouTube channel. We 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 post uh, the full show on YouTube. You see our beautiful faces, our guests, beautiful faces. Um, the clips have video. We got lots of copyright strikes. We will literally never be able to make money from it on YouTube. But it doesn't matter because we do it for you. I don't know why we do it. I'm going to be honest, Vince. I, I think I think it's good for uh, the kids out there. who No like to... one cares. Let's go on with the show. Vince, I <laughs> care about processing this with you. Okay. You know, Vince, here's the thing about you. I watch the YouTube channel. I watch your face, and I see it stone-faced. Yeah. Every time I play rock and roll McDonald's, you just look like it's the fucking 13th time you've heard it. Well, you know what? How about a smile, babe? Huh? Okay. All right. Get some hearts in the you're, chat for people who want Vince to smile more. <laughs> you're asking me to do emotional labor and uh, I won't Damn. stand for it. Holy shit. I didn't think about it that way. Well, anyways, yeah. uh, everyone out there ask Vince to do emotional labor. That way I don't have to. All right. today. We're going to be talking about from season three of The Wire, episode seven, Backburners, and our guest today, a fantastic comedian from Australia. Uh, You may know her from Tea with Alice or The Gargle, or she has these weekly writers meetings on Patreon. Uh, It's at uh, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone else, our guest today is Alice Fraser. Hello. Hello. Vince, hello, Matt. How are you doing? We're doing so great. Good. I mean, you know, we're just we were fighting, fighting a little bit. We were yeah. fighting earlier. You know, I just want him to, you know, to process emotions with me. Um, and he just, uh, he doesn't want to do emotional labor. So we're at an impasse. It can be difficult sometimes to be vulnerable, even with your friends. Because, yeah. you know, they're so important. Their opinion is so important to you that if you lost it, where would you be? Yeah, usually I try not to, you know, do to have Vince emote because I think half the reason I like him is because he is um, so like emotionally um, withholding like your father. Yeah, 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 yeah. That <laughs> is exactly like my, I, my see, dad. But I was I was being vulnerable about the fact that I was bored with the thing that <laughs> you were doing. I don't think that's fair. Um, but, uh, you know, it's okay. If that's how you feel. Um, Alice. Yes. Uh, what are your thoughts on doing plugs at the top of the show rather than at the end of the show? I feel like uh, it depends on what you've trained your audience to accept. 
That's as, right. as far as it goes. Maybe That's you know so part powerful. of the process is they hear the, the theme music and they go and make themselves a cup of coffee and they're half concentrating on the plugs. But otherwise, you know, at the end, they I, th- I feel like it's better to do it at the beginning uh, a, because yeah. they're marginally less likely to turn the podcast off entirely. That's exactly what I'm saying. There's a drop off. As soon as plugs happen, everyone just drops off. And I say, you know what? I'm forcing you fuckers to listen. I'm forcing <laughs> you to like, subscribe and engage with our content. Sorry. I'm sorry for yelling, Alice. Um, That's all right. I forgive you. Thank you for, for your forgiveness. One strike. Um, that, <laughs> strike one. Uh, is there how many strikes in Australian baseball? Uh, there's an, Australian baseball is called cricket. Um, oh. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like that. And so you, you don't have so much strikes as you have wickets. Wickets? Like mm. uh, how many wickets before Three you do Three on sh- each end. On each end. Yeah, you yes, gotta try but you only have to hit one down. to get the batter out. I don't understand it. So in Australian, so how many how many wickets in a strike? In any one of the six, <laughs> will will put you out. What There's is no that strikes. In Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one thousand degrees. Cool. That is crazy. No strikes, only wickets, and you can't move your elbow while you <laughs> while you bowl. bowl. Yeah. Though it's important Otherwise, to move both elbows while you bat. And it's not really like involved? it's not like officially outlawed. They just call you a, like a chucker if you uh, if you move the elbow, and then it's like you should be embarrassed, bro. Yeah, a man once did an underarm bowl to complete a match, which uh, meant that the person who was striking didn't have the opportunity to hit a six, which might have won the match, and basically he was spat on in the streets for years. Well, I don't know any of those words, man. <laughs> I mean, uh, something about a six. You guys got you guys got crazy sports down there. Uh, I, yeah, um, Vince Vince lived there for a while, so he knows a thing or two about uh, rugby. He's a rugby guy. Oh, Union right? League. A union, yeah. Correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Hell yeah. Um, so, okay, I'm trying to do the math on what state that makes you from. Uh, New South Wales. Correct. Okay. Well what the. F- Fuck! How did you do that? You could have said uh, New South what, Wales or upper class, and either would have been correct. Yeah, it's like what type of what type of footy you enjoy. Like usually tells what state you're from because if they say AFL, it's like oh you're from Melbourne. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all. Thing. That's all wild shit, guys. But this is a podcast about the Wire, so I have to ask uh, Alice: Have you seen the Wire? I have seen, well, it's interesting. Uh, Thank you for inviting me on this podcast because it gave me the opportunity to watch the first three episodes of season three of The Wire. I had previously only watched the first two seasons of The Wire because I have a terrible thing where I cannot watch anything unless somebody is watching it with me. I never think to watch anything alone. So all of my viewing is dictated by the tastes of my friends. (laughs) Um, Which means that, yes, uh, I, I watched The Wire with a friend and then he moved interstate and that was it. I, I didn't think, oh, I should watch season three. I thought, oh, well, that's the end of that. You're like, I can't because Derek's not here. I assume yeah. his name is Derek. Too stressful. Oh, man. So we, I'm glad we gave you the opportunity to do that because I feel like when I asked you to be on, um, I, I think I made it, I tried to make it clear that like, if you haven't seen The Wire, don't feel pressure to watch The Wire to go on the show only because I feel like it's one of those shows where it already feels like homework. 
at the beginning of it you know it's like it's not uh necessarily the most um uh television of television shows so uh you know i was i didn't want to burden someone with like hours of work but i'm glad you you did so anyway well it was it was fun for me to get into into season three i think the wire sort of feels to me a little bit like um you know how there's this there were the glory days of like grim documentaries yeah like a particular kind of dude was super into it, and it was like sad cocaine accountants of the mexican hinterlands or something and it, yeah. you'd turn it on and just be a man with his head in a sock saying and there were the dead bodies in a row <laughs> like that I feel like the taste for that kind of documentary kind of dictated the generation of The Wire because it has that similar sort of just like super depressing feel while at the same time being, you know, so well written and engaging because it's so good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is... It it does kind of live in between those worlds of documentary and, like, narrative. Uh, Vince, you you just did a voice. What was that? I was like, show us the bad stuff. It's that that impulse. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Horrible men doing horrible things to other men, basically. Yeah, Yeah, no, and uh, it's also... But not in a sexy way. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could... Sometimes it's a sexy way. Yeah. Um, But, uh, so origin story of how i asked you to be on the podcast um you came on a podcast that i produce uh called uh, jordan jesse go and then after the fact you mentioned that you had listened to pod yourself a gun while you were breastfeeding is that right yeah yeah so you know i don't know if you know <laughs> I, I think you both have babies yeah yeah oh, yeah, yeah 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 toddler well, now but yeah so if yeah. you if you're if your uh partners or wives choose to do the being food thing you know how there are some people who be food for their babies yes. <laughs> yeah yeah i don't yeah, know that's... why people aren't more impressed by that when jesus does it it's a big deal but right no he gets uh, literally worshipped and when my wife does it i'm just like come on uh, hurry up i want to poke the baby <laughs> well you have to sort of do it at the beginning heaps heaps and heaps yes. in the middle of the night and so i had to find things um that i could absorb that were not too challenging um <laughs> <laughs> but it was sort of engaging and enjoyable enough to turn on for eight minutes in the middle of the night and then turn off. So yeah, yeah, the yeah. two things that I found with that uh, were um, the Jack Reacher novels and <laughs> uh, I've always said gun, we're the, the podcast, podcast version of Jack Reacher novels. That, being on the same level as the <laughs> Jack Reacher novels for me is quite possibly the greatest compliment this podcast has ever gotten. Yeah, we stimulate the milk glands. And you know what? <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Well, it's sort of, it's dynamic enough that, that you can immediately engage with it, but it's also samey enough that if you sort of phase out, you can come back in and feel like you haven't missed that much. It's true. Our analysis is such that it's like uh, you can pretty much replace it with like two white dudes going dude that part was so sick what did you think and you can go yeah i don't know which episode they're even talking about i just like when uh when uh you know vince gets mad at matt <laughs> well that that to me was uh fantastic i was like so happy to hear that because my, my wife is also my wife, my wife is doing um is breastfeeding a lot and she you instead of like listening to something uh or you know i don't think reading a book is an easy thing to do um she just goes through like instagram and and scrolls and i feel like that is transmitting um fomo through the breast milk 
yeah, I, f- I feel like it goes straight into the milk. That that's just 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 insecurities and exactly. Um, yeah, the obsession with filtering. Yeah, and so you know, we're I'm like, we're uh, we're transmitting friendship. Absolutely, that's we're, we're, that's we're uh, friendship, camaraderie, love, uh, well, parody just, songs. A genuinely mutually supportive homosocial relationship between two straight men is a beautiful thing that brings me joy. It's like watching flowers bloom. It's like watching a <laughs> glorious sunset. It makes me feel better about the possibilities of the world. So, well, that listen, that makes me feel like maybe we're not just wasting our lives watching TV and talking about it. <laughs> and the fact that that might be true, fuck, dude, that just I I can live off of that good feeling for like a week until the next episode and then you know and then it's and back then you to... need that patreon money to eat again. yeah yeah, yeah. patreon.com broadcast help um but this is not a podcast about various ways in which this podcast helps you uh get that good breast milk for your family no <laughs> this is a podcast about the wire and we of course cannot start the podcast without first playing the theme song pod 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 podcast pod podcast the irish pod season three all right ladies and gentlemen and everyone else once again today we're talking about from season three of the wire episode seven back burners uh and this episode premiered november 7th 2004 vince can you, off the top of your head, break me off a little piece of that synopsis? Oh, man, this is a bit now? Like, you're making me do the freestyles? Sure. i got to make you do something, dog. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, the police are dealing with the complications of legalizing drugs. The detail is dealing with the complication of switching targets. And Kima is dealing with the complication of being married to a mother of your uh, child. Vince, you're like really good at just coming up with them off, off the top of your head. You, this is this That's is so why sweet I do of it. You to say, okay, it's true. You're very it's good. Extraordinary. That's... It's like you've watched the episode. Yeah, it's like you saw it and remembered <laughs> stuff from it. Like whenever I try to to write these, I'm just like sitting in a corner. I'm sweating. I'm like, what happened? And then um and then I give up. But you just remember remember the theme and then the theme uh the theme will allow you to remember the details, I think. Okay. I, that's my yeah. advice to that's, everyone out there who needs yeah. to freestyle a synopsis every now and then. <laughs> you you, you should go on Al- go on Alice's uh you know, writers group Patreon and you guys can team up to tell people how to write a synopsis <laughs> off the top of your head. Cause let's be real, those jobs uh gonna be the only writing jobs that exist. Yeah. Once. AI takes well over. there's the job of teaching people how to do that that's what i'm looking for that because the teachers they actually get the benefits and stuff that's for, true for a little get, while longer yeah yeah for just a little bit um but vince what was what was happening at the time that this episode came that's out? right matt i think mm. what you're trying to say is that we cannot evaluate art 
divorced from the cultural context in which it was produced. And we like to put some of that context back in with a little segment that we like to call the back in the day machine. Four big guys. And they bust on my eyes. They sorry, my- sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you do that. <laughs> no, there's a lot of buttons. Uh, <laughs> it's a bad time for newspapers. The news hole is shrinking as advertising dollars continue to decline. There ain't no back in the day. Machine tells the tale, son. That's right. We're going all the way back to November 7th, 2004. A date uh, which will live and infamy. And for me, um, just to piggyback off of Alice's point about uh, the time where we liked dark documentaries and, you know, men doing bad things to each other. Mm. Um, if I could summarize the the cultural climate uh, of November 7th, 2004, uh, W just got reelected and the vibes were fucked. Those are um, fucked vibes. Here's yeah. a, uh, here's a. Excerpt from a story in the Post. Just days after President Bush's re-election victory, soul-searching gay and lesbian advocates are wondering whether same-sex marriages, or same-sex weddings, tipped the scales to Republicans. Mm. Exit polling showed moral values were at the top of voters' concerns, especially in the eleven, the 11 states where voters banned same-sex marriage. Ballot amendments inspired by a slew of gay weddings in several states. Yeah. I think it hurt, said Representative Barney Frank, a gay Democrat from Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's good that after um, George W. Bush was reelected, this country sat down and said, is it the gay's fault? <laughs> yeah. The correct, always the correct response. Always the correct response is which group that is fighting to have equal rights as everyone else is at so- fault for saying it out loud. So from the perspective of an Australian, um, we are deeply invested in your politics, um, but we, of course, don't get to vote. So we realise a lot before you guys did uh, that you don't live in a democracy. But uh, (laughs) genuinely, genuinely, our invasion uh, response plan at one point is just hold out for 48 hours until the Americans arrive because you've got bases in our country. And yeah. that's that's it. Just fingers crossed. So, you know, when, when somebody comes in that looks like they might not keep their international treaties or promises, we get pretty stressed out, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I can imagine. Um, but, you know, I, I feel like um, it was as an American, um, the idea that our politics and what's going on in America is not at the form, forefront of the mind of every other country. Um, to me is tantamount to flag burning. <laughs> like, you know, I, so I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that in Australia, you know, the, the real president is whoever the American president is. <laughs> Who is the president of Australia? We don't have a president. We have a prime minister. What the fuck? Anthony <laughs> Albanese. Again. Ooh, Albanese. Mm-hmm. Is he Italian? Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Vince. Vince yeah. is Italian. We don't have those here, Italian presidents. That's crazy that we never had an Italian president. I think it's just because, you know, people look at Italians and they're like, too close to Mexicans. I don't know. I'm not really <laughs> sure what the difference is. Probably something to do with being Catholic. Um, well, anyways, this was a, yeah, it sounds like the the vibes were bad. I remember the vibes being bad, but I don't remember the conversation immediately being about gay marriage. 
Um, and it sounds so familiar to, uh, you know, how things work today. Uh, some other stories, just some headlines. Uh, U.S. troops preparing for battle in Fallujah. Uh, oh. Rapper Eminem voted for the first time. Good for him. Cool. <laughs> On the subject of vibes being fucked. A Georgia man despondent over the outcome of the presidential election climbed into the construction pit at Ground Zero and blew his brains out with a 12-gauge shotgun, authorities said yesterday. What? Police said Andrew Veal, 25, of Athens, Georgia, had a bottle of Jack Daniels whiskey at his side when he took his life sometime Friday night. Although he did not leave a note, the sources said they had information that President Bush's re-election fueled Veal's desperate act. Whoa, that is uh, kind of badass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, we all talk shit about like, you know, I don't know how many times I was like, I'm moving to Canada. I never left Los Angeles. And then, you know, this guy, he sticks to his guns. Yeah, so literally. So to little, speak. A little too hard he stuck to him. Uh, and I like to finish off with a pop culture story. Um, another one from the post. Johnny, be very good. Depp is a serious Oscar contender, comma, not so serious actor. Uh, okay. Many Hollywood insiders <laughs> think Johnny Depp could win an Oscar for his new movie, Finding Neverland. And if he does, you can thank a fart machine. De well, uh, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's exaggerating a bit, but flatulence did play a big part in Neverland, which opens Friday. Uh, in the film, Depp plays the real-life Victorian British author J.M. Barry, who befriended a wi widow and her four boys and wrote his classic Peter Pan for them. Mm. Some of the movie's best scenes involve Depp down on his hands and knees playing pirates and Indians with the four children, ages 6 to 14. Does does he? How does, does he that fourteen-year-old feel? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's the one guy there going, like, uh, "What the Would, fuck is this?" Could you please stand up? Yeah. Could you could you get off your hands and knees, please? Yeah. Um, okay, me, governor. I can't keep a British accent going for too also, long. Also, in Victorian before. England, a fourteen-year-old is like thirty-seven. Like, right? Yeah, got, they already six years to live. He's got to go off and you know fight some colonial. I've already got the black lung, sir. Could you get off your hands and knees, please? I'm a full-grown adult. Here are my children. Yeah, that rules. And as any parent knows, fart jokes will kill with that sort of crowd. So while Depp was shooting Neverland in London two summers ago, he went to a novelty shop and bought an iPod-sized gadget that made all sorts of blat, splat, and fizzle sounds. Um, I'm okay. So I'm sorry for just so I'm clear. The fart machine um, does not appear in Finding Neverland. I've seen that movie a few times, and I don't believe there is a fart machine. <laughs> there were no machine. Ma there. You know what? There was no machines back then. I like right. that. I like an actor who takes the Foley artist uh, <laughs> role into their own hands. Yeah. Yeah. I like an artist who shows up on set and goes, pow, 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 pow. Pew, pew. Sound effects are very important. Apparently in the Star Wars movies, I don't know which Star Wars movies it was, uh, but I think it was the prequels. They had to be asked not to make the <laughs> noises. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's that would have been me. <laughs> Be like, bro, you are Luke Skywalker. You can't keep doing this. <laughs> oh, Depth forty-one has often said that his life only came into focus when he met his longtime partner, thirty-one-year-old French pop star Vanessa. Amber Heard. Oh, wait, no, who? Vanessa Paradis, mm. and he had children. The name of his two-year-old son, Jack, is tattooed on his arm, and he wears a raggedy beaded bracelet that was made by his five-year-old daughter, Lily Rose. From oh, Lily Rose. Idol. 
That's right. From the idol. That's yeah. She's five. Oh, dude! Wow, that's ugh. things go <laughs> things go things go bad for that poor little girl. Everyone was five once. That's true. So everyone are was currently five. younger than five. They're not five yet, but everyone else. Everyone else, yeah, they were definitely five. My daughter still not five, and you know what? Never will. I'm sorry. I don't know why I just went with it. Um, yeah. Uh, so what does a fart machine have to do with anything? How does that ma- have anything to do with him being an Oscar nominated? They use it to help the young actors loosen up on set. Okay. And well, you know what? A- yeah. One of those young actors, he went on to play uh, the doctor in The Good Doctor. Shut the fuck about- up. Yes, that's correct. You're talking about the, the autistic doctor who uh-huh. was just like, you know, uh, what does he say? He says like, hmm. All Muslims are terrorists. And then everyone just, <laughs> everyone is like, oh, oh, he's so silly. Yeah. I need to watch that. Can we do a rewatch <laughs> podcast of The Good Doctor? Because it seems like that is a content mill. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I could handle it, but it seems like it uh, should exist. Yeah. All right. So that's what happened. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think you're properly contextualized. Okay, wonderful. Now Fart machines and blowing your brains out at ground zero. Yeah, there was a lot a lot happened. Two thousand four was a wild time. Sublime. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get into this episode. Um this week, uh the Balmer B story is just, I'm just gonna play a second of it because it's it's for no one but me, but uh it is basically based on my favorite storyline of the episode which is um, Bernard and Squeak, uh, two lovers who are going around buying burner cell phones Mm -hmm. and yelling at each other. I'm just, here's a little bit of it. Squeak says just buy in bulk, Bernard. It's Radiohead. (laughs) It's so long. Yeah, anyways, so you can listen to the full song at the end of the episode. Uh, but you have so many transferable skills. How did you end up here? I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, you know, I got skills, man. I got skills. I can make song. Imagine if you turn that to, like, advertising things. Dude, you know, listen, if all else fails, I if anyone out there has, like, an ad company that they're the head of, like some sort of Don Draper character out there, let me, hit me up, because I got some songs yeah. that I could turn I into. Could just imagine, you know, working nine to five, what a way to make a sandwich, and then it's an ad for a sandwich. Like, come on, man. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. I could, you know, Pinch I'll take your sky. song, I'll make it about scrubbing bubbles. <laughs> I can write song about scrubbing bubbles. Um, oh, yeah, okay. All right, so let's talk about this episode and everything that happened. This was, uh, for me, um, an episode filled with a lot of amazing storylines. And, uh, I mean, we have, we finally see Hamsterdam is up and running. We finally see, uh, McNulty uses powers for pussy again. Uh, <laughs> we see, uh, two lovers, Bernard and Squeak. Uh, we see Stringer do a sexy yell. Vince, what did you think of this episode? Oh, I thought it was a great episode for a lot of the reasons you just mentioned. Um, Specifically, 
you know, obviously the show is a lot about like, hey, what if we decriminalized drugs? Wouldn't that improve uh, life in our cities? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it comes pretty hard. It, com- down, it comes down pretty hard on yes, but because it's the wire, like it doesn't do it without, uh, you know, acknowledging some of the complications that would naturally occur and uh this episode was very good about that very interesting Uh, like thinking about okay what would actually happen in the short term if you did that uh and it wouldn't be all good things yeah and uh and so yeah it's about it's about uh what happens when you try to change the things that you've just been doing as a sort of reflex for a while uh and that is hamsterdam that is Cuddy, like trying to go straight, and that is, you know, McNulty trying to get the detail to go after the guys that he wants to go after. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I compare Hamsterdam and what's happening in this episode with, um, uh, whenever it rains in L.A. and everyone forgets how to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the same thing. It's just like you know, uh, people are so used to things being one way that like you know it completely fucks with the ecosystem and they they mentioned that in this episode you know the you know the ecosystems of certain animals get fucked up you know when men come in and you know industrialize or whatnot and it's it's the same thing although in this case it's absolutely just them kind of being racist but uh there is something to be said about that uh, alice what did you think of this episode I thought it was really interesting. It felt to me like it was kind of an episode about scale and Mm. also about the inertia of systems that like that simultaneously, like one person can absolutely fuck up a system, uh, which you see with, with the car blow job, just absolutely (laughs) (laughs) fucking everything up. Meticulous disciplined system, (laughs) uh, just getting knocked down by one card. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, you can see the ways in which like systems just the, keep perpetuating themselves and kind of roll over um yeah. people which i yeah, thought com- was really interesting completely and and uh yeah the the idea that um this meticulous and well thought out system of you know figuring out how they're going to do continue doing cell communications without getting caught um is fucked over because of a nagging girlfriend (laughs) is i think um it's just one of those things where you're like yeah you know that is uh hey there's a little bit of truth in everything am i right fellas (laughs) high fives um but yeah you also got mcnulty going around daniels to get the target changed Um, yeah which sort of Daniel's sort of is, I mean, that's one of, yeah, that's such a great scene. Where yeah. Is like- and, and, and Bunny Colvin is also, you know, uh, I think illustrative, illustrative of your point. That's a word. <laughs> yeah. You, you got there. I mean, just didn't pronounce it right. Um, uh, because he is, you know, a one, the one guy who's like changing up the system and fucking everything up as well. And at least fucking it up in, in a sense. Um, but, uh, to start with my favorite storyline, let's talk about Bernard and Squeak. Um, I feel like of all the different storylines that happened in The Wire, this felt to me the closest to like a Scorsese film. Yeah. Uh, like this is, this feels very Goodfellas. Uh, and I, uh, 
I just have a, a collection of some of my favorite moments between uh, Squeak and his love. Disposable phones? They're on special. Four for 180. Just the two. It is truly a beautiful relationship, and I wish them the best. It, it really uh, it kind of sums up the kind of relationships you get into in your early twenties. When she like just the idea that she's going along with him because if she doesn't travel with him on his work trip, <laughs> she knows that he will cheat. He, he might cheat. Yeah, <laughs> as if he. Has the time to do so is the crazy thing. I think she's probably right. That's the best, that's the irony of it all. Be, you might be right. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I, I know also, though, like we, we were blaming uh, Squeak for this, but mm. actually it's Shamrock's fault Yes. for throwing the receipts in the bin. Like it right. is 100% on Shamrock for not checking the receipts and letting, 100%. And letting Squeak see him not check the receipts. Exactly, like, yes. If you're going to bin the receipts, you do it when somebody's closed the door. Like you don't be... Right. Don't do it immediately. Just because all that does is, you know, encourage nag girlfriends <laughs> to continue their. <laughs> no. What is, it, a, what is a Shrek Slurpee? I don't it know. Sounds- <laughs> I don't know. I assume it was just a Slurpee. I mean, that other was than like, what she does in the car. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I assume it was just like a green Slurpee that was, color, that had, was the same color as Shrek, but I don't. I don't remember that being a thing, but I mean, uh, it's probably, it it was, was, it was definitely a thing. It had to be, it's like the grimace shake is, is not a grimace shake, just a purple shake. Pretty sure. You just put a color in there and you say that kind of looks like this one character and then you promote. That's, uh, (laughs) that's what we need. We need on this podcast in order to promote, we need to make like a, um, uh, you know, a a pot yourself, a gun malt. What Mm -hmm. would it like, uh. And but it would look like cum. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All milkshakes look like cum. Come on. They all. Oh, damn it. They already look like cum. Oh, it's perfect. Save money on food coloring. See, I'm always thinking. Um, also, just the size of his shirts uh, throughout <laughs> yeah. that sequence is fascinating. I mean, like the his short sleeves are hitting him like mid wrist on yeah. the arm. Like, wow, we really liked really big clothes in 2004. 
Yeah, no, extra big. Uh, you know, I I never really fully understood the little guy in the double XL, but I I and get. So if you that... made a bear, they think you're bigger. Oh, <laughs> I see. It's for you know, just in case you ever find yourself face to face with an animal. You know, it's like a way you puff out your chest. It's possible. I mean, I I definitely wore like baggy pants, but I didn't know why. You know, <laughs> I don't. It was the style at the time. It was the style. So you know, uh, you know, he. I think he looks good. Um, and uh, I, I feel like that relationship is fun to watch because it reminds me so much of like. Uh, just different conversations I've had with my wife <laughs> whenever I've like, when I worked at this, uh, at this one writing job that I had here, uh, that I fucking hated. And, uh, she would just yell at me to leave this place. Cause I was just so annoyed and I was, uh, and you know, in the end she was right. Squeak was right. And so was my wife. So it's a lovely Big time you had one job sort of situation, uh, and yet you see why he didn't do that one job, because yeah. it was kind of a shitty job to have. It sucks. You got to go around buying, you know, not buying in bulk, you know, your, your, your girlfriend's there offering to suck your dick. What man could turn that down? That's what I say. Um, but yeah, that is, that I think is my favorite, uh, storyline of the episode, um, Let's get into, uh, you know, let's get into what's going on with Jimmy in this episode. You guys want to talk Jimmy McNulty, our yeah, favorite Jimmy, detective? Jimmy has uh, leaned on his old benefactor, Bunny, mm -hmm. who uh, calls him Bushy Top. Yep. You know how the close they are because he still calls him Bushy Top. Yeah. Which, you know, who wouldn't want to please the guy that calls you that? Yeah. Uh, he's leaned on him to get, uh, to make... Daniel switched the target of the detail from Kintel Williamson back to the West Side boys, Stringer and Avon. Um, yeah. Another sub theme of this show is just uh, the ability of different uh, details of cops to not have any idea what the other details are doing and to yes. completely fuck them over, uh, which yeah. happens once again because uh, the detail has no idea about Hamsterdam. And, uh, and they're, they may fuck with the program because yeah. they caught Bodhi with an entire G pack. That's right. Yeah. They're learning about it for the first time. There's actually a couple things they learn about for the first time. Uh, and one of them is Hamsterdam. The other is that Avon is free. Um, yes. Again. So yeah. Another thing that no one bothered to tell them, even though they spent, I don't know, a year of their life trying to put this guy in jail. Yeah. See, this is why I'd, I'm not sure that nine 11 was an inside job. Because, and this relates, because, I mean, you know, it's true that, like, the police don't know what they're doing, it's even at a federal level. Yeah, they got a thousand guys going, we're going to crash the planes into the thing. And it's like, they don't even know Avon Barksdale's out. How are they going to know 9-11 is about to happen? You guys? Yeah. Agree? <laughs> <laughs> they don't talk to each other. You know, it's the problem. You get a bunch of men doing a job and they don't communicate. Yeah, I know. It's because men are refuse to be vulnerable. See, Vince? <laughs> yeah. This is what happens when you won't, you know, process your feelings about YouTube with me. Well, it's like they no one's willing to talk about their day. Yeah. 
Exactly. How was nope. your day? Oh, I did a wiretap on, uh, you know, this Mohammed Zarqawi right guy, but no one ever says that. They're just like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, it was, my day was fine. Know, why are you why are you nagging me so much? You know. And then next thing you know, nine eleven happens. How, how how was your morning? Oh, I I turned an entire suburb into the ninth circle of hell by making <laughs> all crime legal. How yeah. are you? Yeah. Oh, you did. I wish I had known that because I was about to arrest this guy who was going to send a, uh, bring a G pack over there. That's how communication should work in a healthy relationship, but it's not how it works in the Baltimore Police Department. And um, <clears throat> finding out that Hamsterdam has turned into uh, the mess that it's turned into, I think was, I think it was a really uh, good nuanced point that. David Simon is really good at doing, you know, it's, it's one of the things he gets a lot of flack for, I think, because, you know, he, you know, this show will be called copaganda because it'll show cops, like some cops not being pieces of shit, uh, or they're being pieces of shit, but not in a, in the way that we would consider them, you know, uh, pieces of shit. Like they are actually trying to solve crimes and stuff. And in this, it's like the idea of just quickly legalizing drugs and being like, Hey, in this area is a free zone. Um, without the basic infrastructure needed in order to transition to that, you get what you get. I mean, Amsterdam is, is up and running and it's not pretty. There's street fights. There's sad sex workers, squalid children running amok, uh, sloppy steaks at Cogino's <laughs> real pieces, shit conditions. Um, you also see Carv trying to sort of institute some social security net just on the ground level, which I think yes. is great, getting called yeah. communist for it. But like I, I, that's like quite a heavy-handed point. But yes. if you are going to, you know, do this kind of thing, what you do need is like a, a security net for Ye the people who are going to fall out of the side of, of that system. Completely. And I, I, have, uh, I have the clip of, uh, of Carver doing that. That's your receipt. 244 for the hoop comes back to me, rounded to two and a half for my gas money. This repays me. The rest of this, use it to pay them hoppers for the week. Whether you use them or not, you pay this money out. Shit is like unemployment insurance. Every employer gotta pay in. If I find out anybody been holding out that he's out of here, back on the street getting his head busted. The least y'all can do is look after your own people a little bit. I mean, I I love that because it's uh, it is just on the go. You know, you see, you know, they created this on the fly, and then the first thing that everyone notices is there sure are a lot of children here, uh, and uh, what's worse, unemployed children. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, you gotta get Which these children back to work. Yeah, which is the thing that I think is sort of so pathetic and like heartwarming about this attempt by Carve is like it's the wrong solution. Yeah. Um, for this problem, he's trying to patch the thing, and you can see exactly the ways in which that patch is going to uh, be exploited and fray around the edges immediately. Yes. Um, yes. But yeah. you, you know, you can't help but feel like, oh, he's a, he's nice. He's trying. Yeah. To be nice. No, he's he's trying, and he, and he he is identifying like a real problem, and and you know, I can see why uh, there would be some criticism. I think of, um, you know, this 
uh, universal well, basic income scheme. <laughs> uh, yes, the, for sure, the universal basic income. But uh, why there'd be criticism for the episodes like portrayal of a free zone, because, you know, you can, you know, a lot of times uh, whenever someone is suggesting, uh, hey, you know, what if we we uh, we lost the war on drugs, we should legalize drugs. I mean, it's just clear as day and people go, all right, OK, so first of all, what happens to that economy? Uh, second of all, what happens to the children? And, you know, it's like uh, immediately people, you know, were, you could, yeah, you could easily play this as uh, as propaganda for all the reasons that you don't legalize drugs. Right. But that's not like how the wire plays it. It's no, just, no, it's not. It's not. And uh, and I, I feel I, like most of the news media today is like dedicated to like, like this. This could just be one of those reports about San Francisco where you're just sort yes. of like walking around the tenderloin being like, Oh, look at all these people doing drugs out in the open. And it's yeah. cause it's like, yeah, there's like a little Amsterdam there. Right. And the difference is like in most cities, you don't have to walk through Amsterdam every day to get to other places. Right. And also in most cities, uh, there is a big downtown bustling area filled with people going to jobs, uh, that, you know, uh, there's usually more of them than there are of like the uh, uh, homeless and, uh, you know, street drug addicts and stuff. Just ever since the pandemic, everyone in San Francisco is working from home and they left the city. And so everyone's like, there's so many homeless people. It's like, no, there's the same amount. You're just outnumbered now. And you know what? It's their city now. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Listen, I'm I am I am pro homeless taking over that whole city uh i i just think they should move into the offices hey brent what's going on hey sorry to interrupt i but i'm gonna run and get a shrek slurpee and i just wanted to check to see if anybody else wanted one no i'm good <laughs> i'm good oh, okay okay i would one, like okay. some crispy alice, one for alice and some crispy creams for vince yeah, okay while you. i do that we should probably take a break for ads so. okay fair enough well while brent is uh Getting a Shrek Slurpee and some Krispy Kreme and possibly going to suck his boyfriend's dick. Uh, we should take a little ad break. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Matt Lieb here with an annoying mid-roll ad that I'm going to be playing until March 17th. Why March 17th, you ask? Well, because I'm going to be co-headlining the Sacramento Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with my wife, Francesca Fiorentini. I would love it if you all bought your tickets to it. It's going to be really fun. Um, you helped us sell out uh, when we co-headlined the San Francisco Punchline, and now I'm asking for you to... Do it again. That's right. If you're in the Sacramento area or somewhere nearby, um, come to the Sacramento Punchline Sunday, March 17th, 7 p.m. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to be there. Francesca's going to be there. Uh, someone else is going to open for us. I don't know who, but someone probably pretty funny. You're going to have a great time, and you can get your tickets right now by either clicking the link uh, that's in the show notes or going to punchlinesack.com and uh, buying your tickets. Do it. And if you can't go, hey, maybe you have friends who are in the area and you you know, you can tell them like, hey, you like comedy. Come see this guy who does a podcast and his wife who also does a podcast. It'll be great. So yes, please come. Sacramento Punchline, March 17th. That's a Sunday at 7 p.m. Come, enjoy, laugh, love. All right. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. And we're back. Okay, so we were talking about uh, how Hamsterdam is kind of going crazy. And uh, and Bubbles, it's the first time we see Bubbles in Hamsterdam. And he's looking around and he is um, clearly, like, shook by it. Um, you know, it's like he is, he's been a, you know, fucking junkie for a long time. And he's seen a lot of shit. But this is, even for him, is kind of wild. And uh, I, I have a clip. <laughs> so shit's wild out there in these streets mm -hmm. um and, and uh he eventually goes and sees uh johnny who's um you know living in uh the wildest like drug den squalor that he thinks is paradise yeah and as someone who um you know was a drug addict for uh, a long time in my youth um, you know, I've, I've been in some, some pretty, you know, fun drug dens before, but, uh, seeing that reminded me of the fact that I really, I think was for a junkie kind of a bitch. Cause I needed like, I remember I, 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 this one apartment that I, I lived in, uh, in Santa Cruz, and someone like cooked a whole thing of um, uh, what do you call it? enchiladas? Mm. Uh, he ate two of them, and then he just left the rest out in the kitchen for weeks. <laughs> and then flies started coming, and they were just like, "We our our kitchen was just that was the flies room." After a while, <laughs> and Next I remember, thing you know, there's babies crawling around on the ceiling. Exactly, they're doing exorcist head spins and they're falling right on your face. It was like a bad time, but like I, I remember, even then, just being like, "I don't like drugs that much." <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it was pretty bad. Um, but you know, uh, I, I do at the same time look at the at Johnny and I go like. You know, it is it is him living his dream. The sad thing about it is, is that part of the junkie dream would be like, I get to just do this and be left the fuck alone. And that is as much as people like, you know, denigrate addicts and, you know, oh, you know, their lives are terrible and blah, blah, blah. Like in that moment when he's like fucking you know, talking to Bubbles, he really feels like a Viking. He's just doing drugs and he's like having the time of his life and he's not worried about, you know, getting robbed. He's not worried about uh, getting locked up. 
And uh, he has some minor issues with the bugs crawling under his skin from hitting the pipe too hard. But other well, than that, see, but see, I think I'm not sure if I entirely agree with you uh, on this, Vince, because I think what terrifies Bubbles is the idea that the kind of of the free fall of it. Like yeah, that's yeah. looking at Johnny in free fall with no kind of, you know, part of for Bubbles what keeps him on the, not straight and narrow, but like yeah. functional is that yes. he has to do so much admin. Like yeah. the process of it's true. You know, getting yeah, it, from one hit to another is the thing that kind of keeps him alive. That's true. There is something to be said about like, there's a little bit of, well, without some of these guardrails in place, you know, guardrails being things like you might get robbed or get arrested. Um, it means to that collect you've, the scrap metal stuff like that. Yeah, you have to collect the scrap metal. You have to sell. That's you know, cardio. You, you, that's cardio. Exactly. You got to sell the shirts. You know, that's uh, business business acumen. Um, yeah, there's there is something about just like being challenged that uh i mean it just it's if it's what you know it's what you would do and i do think you know being a junkie is a full-time job and i think he's a little bit looking at johnny and going like you know hey what happened to all the hard work we used to do when we were threatening people on ladders um, <laughs> he likes and- the pro- bubbles enjoys the process and johnny has just yeah. thrown out the process i feel like you've earned doing it drugs now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, he's not. He's not earning those pipes. It's kind of like you know when you eat crab, like yes, like a whole crab, best thing ever. But like part of the reason it's so good is you got to crack bite the into it like an apple just to get the little pieces of meat out. If someone just gives you a big bowl of pre-shucked crab meat, it doesn't taste as good. Same thing with like pistachios. a pumpkin seed. Yeah, pistachio. Like if a big bowl of pistachios that are already shelled there's no mm-hmm. fun to it it's not the same 100 percent. it doesn't 100%. taste as good without the work it's like same a sickening with... level of decadence yeah, yeah exactly it's really it's like who the fuck do you think you are that you don't have to break open this crab and suck out the guts mm-hmm. you think you're better than me once again i do bite into a whole crab and eat it like an apple <laughs> um so do yeah you eat that's the whole pumpkin seed I don't, I've never had a pumpkin seed. Oh, you need a whole a pumpkin. pumpkin. <laughs> sure. You but could. there's some people that they take the roasted pumpkin seeds and they just eat it shell and all, which mm-hmm. is uh, a little bit disgusting to me. And uh, part of the fun of it is trying to get that delicious little seed out of the husk. Yeah. No, that sounds fun. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's so much fun. That's a good time. It. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so while, while that is, is happening, <laughs> um, you know, Amsterdam is just, is going crazy. And, uh, meanwhile, uh, you know, Avon has somehow, he's cleared Marlowe out of his corners. Uh, Marlowe is, is gone and, and Avon is like, well, we back up. Um, and, uh, we get only a little bit of Marlowe in this episode, but we get some of my favorite character who is finally being introduced in all of her glory snoop snoop is here and we see that uh marlo's plan the whole time was we'll move off these corners avon's people will move in and as soon as the police clear out we're going to 
get back to tooling up and going to war. And uh, so we finally now get to see Snoop in action. And I have a clip. Coming off them corners. Police leave them corners, he's gonna be back out there. I know he will. Your turn, girl. It's about time. For real. Look at her go. Um, and I got to say, I will be playing the Peanuts theme every time Snoop uh, mm, shows up. That worked well. On this it show. It really is like good uh, montage music. It's perfect montage music. And, you know, it's got the ba-da-da-da and then the gunshots. I worked well, very also, hard. Also, I really liked about that scene is, you know, you get Marlo's pigeon thing. Yeah, um, yes. which is such a great like it's such a great villain quirk to enjoy yes. an animal because you look at the villain you're like where's where's he keeping his heart you know like you know how right. the, the villain in a story keeps his heart in a box in a tree right you, right. you know the heart somewhere but if it's not on him at the time you know if if they really like pigeons or dogs uh -huh. or frogs or whatever it is you know that they're going to really be horrible in every other aspect yeah. of their life <laughs> yes yes <laughs> or goldfish as uh, Weebay like yeah Weebay love goldfish uh, Tony Soprano love ducks and Marlo Loves it's pigeons. sort of like you know all the houses on Game of Thrones have their own sigil. That's uh, <laughs> that's like the drug people in The Wire. Like uh, yeah, you know, Marlowe's is a pigeon. Uh huh. Yeah. Louis Bays is the fish. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, Stringer is I I don't know one of those uh, 2004 Bluetooth headsets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, we we get to see um, <clears throat> a little bit of Marlowe, you know, and a little bit of Snoop and. Uh, they're going to be featured so much more as the show goes on. It's kind of crazy to think that like they don't really show up until halfway in season three uh, when they are such like, I, I think, like standout characters in the show. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I like that that happened so abruptly because like the pigeon conversation, the way he left it, it felt like, oh, we're just going to like lull them into a false sense of security. But it was like, oh, no, they're already in the false sense of security let's just uh, let's go out there right now like yeah immediately as like soon they as... immediately went from coop to murder motorcycle yeah i mean it, it happens that fast life comes at you fast especially in the pigeon coop um well yeah watching him kind of like share his pigeon knowledge with his little pigeon buddy <laughs> like you could tell that they have like i don't know like a little pigeon group chat and that like he's like a pigeon guy and i i feel like there's something uh, you see this in different like movies about like the hood there's always like uh, a pigeon guy who uses pigeons for communication um and uh it was I, How about speed speed dial on a pigeon yeah exactly exactly you can't fucking trace a pigeon you can't uh, open it up and see uh what stringer's phone number is no pigeons here's the thing about them they never snitch do we mm. think it was a pun with like pigeon coop and him doing a coup oh shit mm. i didn't think about that um i just assume it's all from mike tyson because mike tyson was a pigeon guy Mm, okay like oh this guy's scary but he loves pigeons 
Yeah. Uh, this is a good quirk for like a scary guy to have. Yeah. I really, I like the theory of the pigeon coup de tat. Uh, <laughs> have you yeah. seen, have you seen the new John Wick movie? I, uh, I haven't seen John Wick 4. I saw the first 25 minutes of it before I walked out. Well, one wow. of the things that I really like about it is it seems to be, I don't know exactly how the hierarchy works, but the higher up the echelon you get, the more quirks you accumulate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Until there's a guy who's like, his thing is like, he's got a purple suit and a lisp and like metal teeth and, <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> You just get to do all the things. Two peg legs, three scars over his eyes. The the henchmen just wear black, and then as you go up the ranks, you are assigned. Yeah, Yeah, you get extra things. Quirk. Yeah, I love that. This guy always wears a top hat with goggles on it for some reason. Uh, I just got a promotion. It's time to poke out one of my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so good stuff. Marlo, love him. and um, on the periphery of that, we see uh, a little bit of Stringer Bell in this episode. He is mad as hell that Donette is, you know, fucking like told Brianna, which is Dee's m- mother, that uh, the police think that Dee may have not killed himself. He may have not. Ep- he may have been Epstein the same way, you know, Jeffrey Epstein, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't kill himself. We all know, you know, we all know that, you know, vaccines aren't real. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he gets super pissed off. And um, uh, there's something about Mad Stringer that is like, like really it's like hot, like very sexy. This <laughs> is a, it's like, a, you know, like I'm straight. He's I find it hard to passion. find Idris Elba sexy because he so clearly knows he's sexy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like it's, that it's is just true. Really, like it's really repugnant the self assurance. I, I feel yeah. like there's no crack to wiggle into. <laughs> you, need, you need a touch of insecurity. <laughs> yeah, no, he does. He, yeah, it is clear. Just he knows that he's one of the hottest men who's ever lived. So, but there's something about that confidence that, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I just am like. Hey, that's I aspire to be as confident as a very, very hot man. Um, but I think because of the yelling I, in particular, I was just like, yeah, all right, I like this. It also introduces another thing that I think is a theme of this episode, which is like, he's like, no one's going to remember a, a dead guy a year from like the the time span right. that they play with of like oh this guy was uh, w- w- when they say at the beginning that they're changing targets this guy was killing people two months ago now right. the bodies are falling elsewhere we got to change yeah. our target like the right. the speed with which things are meant to move on with which uh, and then in the conversation with the with um Carchetti as well where yeah. they say oh witness won't be important like no one's going to remember that uh, right by the next election that stuff exactly. like keeps yeah. coming back how long people's memories are and i think also like herc not quite recognizing avon is another example yes. of that at the beginning of just like yeah. how short people's yeah. memories are for these like in theory major events life and death things yeah people will remember slights uh i don't know if you remember election you know matthew broderick's character mm-hmm. like he eventually gets brought down uh, by the janitor who saw him throw that uh, <clears throat> soda just on the floor and like let it fall, and he he held that in his head, and he's like, "If I have a chance to fuck this guy over someday, yeah, I'm going to." 
and uh, he held on to that. Yeah, and and I think that is a general theme of the wire is like how much of a motivating uh, motivating factor spite is, and um, the need for not just like getting over on someone, but almost like you know vengeance. Uh, you know, I mean the the entire reason that McNulty engineered this situation, which now Stringer is back to being the target, is because, you know, Stringer drew a funny picture of him in court one day and he told his, you know, fuck you, officer. And uh, he's been chasing him. And it's he has this need where he's like, I need to get this guy and I will literally shoot myself in the foot because Daniels is is after this he's kicking uh McNulty out of the unit. Uh, and this is a unit that McNulty was a part of from the beginning. So it's like that's how much spite matters. And uh Yeah, it important. also feels like it could potentially be a David Simon like being told to bring back an old character rather than going for a new character. Um, yes because I feel like there was probably that criticism in season two. hundred percent. need to have these familiar characters. And so yes. I feel like that might be a little bit, I mean, maybe I'm just reading too much. Into no, it, it that is like... my, that's my working theory for season three. Cause I've like, you know, with the, the season's not finished. So I'm, I, I'm not going to do a, a, like say this with entire certainty, but season three upon rewatch, I'm realizing feels very notes from the studio. Yeah. Uh, and like the fact that, they are like basically just bringing back everything from season one and all of our friends and favorite characters, you know, and it's, I understand why they would do it, but it does feel like other than Marlo, um, you're not yeah, really like you wonder if, if David Simon had it up to him, if he would just start with Marlo and it would be all like Marlo Snoop and Chris drama, but he yeah. sort of, they sort of, or even like fully yeah. Congress people and like right. that yes. side yeah. of the yeah. politics in season three. It, like, yeah. it felt with only a little bit of the other kind of dipping back down the layers, as it were, of yeah, from the streets up. Yeah, and and not that I don't appreciate. It. I mean, we all needed that closure. Uh, we needed to see what happens with the storyline, but it's like because it's, uh, you know, the the entire season is dedicated to it rather than you know first two episodes and then we move on to a new target, you know, uh, or just, you know, in between the time between season two and season three, they could have been like, and all this stuff has happened since you last But instead there were like, it feels like the studio said we need more sexy ass stringer, cool ass Avon. Um, you know, and we need, uh, badass Omar, badass Omar. We need more badass Omar. Um, and, uh, yeah. Speaking of badass Omar, uh, in this episode, um, Omar is struggling with that conversation that he had. With and this Punk. is like, this is fits in with the theme of like unintended consequences and mm -hmm. sort of trying to change the paradigm. Like, uh, Butchie has a very good point where he's telling Omar basically, yeah, you can't suddenly start being like the, the good guy, uh, doing favors for people. Uh, unless you want to get killed because like your right. whole, your whole life is based on like living uh, apart from that and thinking about yourself first. And the minute you stop doing that, you are putting yourself in serious danger. Right. Yeah. And uh, he tells a great story uh, that I, I have a clip of, and this is just like fucking 
I I could do with a, an entire just bushy series. The uncle down Carolina. But I remember he was grieving real hard, real hard on chasing his lady friend away. Took a knife to his little finger, then his ring finger. For the rest of his life, I remember him saying, the bitch wasn't worth more than a pancake. Huh? But it was too late then. <laughs> oh, I just love that so much. <laughs> you know, you, you wonder if Van Gogh felt the same way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. She wasn't worth more than a lobe. <laughs> exactly. She um, just got a piercing, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> a tattoo, bro. You know, just a tattoo. This is, you know. But love will make you do crazy things, man. It'll make you do crazy things. Um, and uh, in order to do penance for um, what he perceives, I mean, Omar is taking to heart what Bunk was saying about, like, you know, children are, um, they're, they want to be you. You're, you're a bad role model. Um, and he, in order to do penance for that, he gets him Dozerman's gun, which has been the side story that's been going on uh, so this entire season so far of just searching for Dozerman's service weapon. And uh, Omar was somehow able to get it. Uh, and, of course, you know, Bunk is still going to go after him. But, uh, yeah, I thought I thought that was great. I especially loved there is a scene... Uh, in which they do a press conference celebrating the fact that they found this service weapon and we get to see Dozerman post like shooting and he's it's clear that they just kind of propped them up with a dolly and just rolled them out there to <laughs> and I just have a I have a quick uh, clip of that take this opportunity to commend our department on successfully resolving this case and to wish officer Dozerman a speedy return to duty just, he's, he's just that is so... a man who's three seconds away from spewing into a pot plant. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's well, a, it's like, like he the, he has to do the thing that like Elliot Spitzer's wife has to do when he gives like the press conference, uh, apologizing <laughs> for all the things he's done, and she just has to be like a sort of unwilling prop there. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. uh huh, yeah, I yeah. got shot in the face. Cool. Yeah, the expression he, he makes reminds me of one of my all-time favorite comedy sketches, which is uh, Colbert and Carell doing mm -hmm. waiters who are nauseated by food. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love and that sketch. just them just sweating and yeah. uh, uh, it's like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just so almost gagging and gagging. Yeah. I love that. Uh, uh, it's because, you know, he's, he's up there, but he's thinking about, you know, all the things he's done in his life that have led to this moment, um, including this. Four big guys, and they bust on my eyes. They eat my ass just like apple pie. If they keep. Anyways, I just figured if I played it earlier, I might as well play it. Um, I, I have relevant. to say, mm -hmm. my favorite line uh, is "conscience do cost." Yes. Yeah. Just yeah. like ah. Uh... Yeah, it's perfect. It's you know the, the it's the pull quote at the beginning of the episode as well and occasionally that, those pull quotes um are perfect i would say like 50 percent of the time uh they're you're like i don't even i don't even remember when he said when he said that you know it'll just be like bubbles being like damn i'm high and you're like okay you know, i guess 
<laughs> that did happen. I he, guess did, like, he said yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, but I I like that we get just the detail of what a conscientious gift giver Omar is. That he wrapped the gun in, in the tie. tie that he got to testify. That's uh, right. Yeah. yeah, I I thought that was sweet, and that was also a little bit of. Uh, the tie motif a little bit because uh in a couple scenes before that you see this grand tradition apparently of uh police homicide detectives in baltimore if you fall asleep at the job uh at your desk someone will uh take a giant pair of scissors and cut your tie clean off oh that's um, exactly what you want to do with a group of people who are known for shooting innocents yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you want to uh, give them a nice sharp weapon that goes, uh, you know, and, and have it as close to your neck as possible. Um, the, the, the level of not being pissed off about that, uh, that the, the detective was uh, showing, uh, I thought was the most restraint a cop has ever shown in a TV show <laughs> or in real life ever. Um, yeah. And, level, uh, it's almost bad acting because in real right. life you would have like at least three and a half seconds of being furious and then you'd be yes. like oh it's unacceptable to be furious i have to pretend this is right funny. exactly you my have to wife pretend me this tie for my birthday like- yeah exactly <laughs> this is my favorite fucking tie oh <laughs> fun prank guys fun prank uh yeah no i would i'd be furious um because eyes are expensive um and i think we cannot end this episode without talking about one of my another one of my absolute favorite things in this episode is watching McNulty use his powers to find the woman of his dreams Teresa Diagostino uh he convinces Prez Belusky uh to find out who rented this the hotel room that he was in with uh, Teresa uh or a few episodes ago and get the information. Meanwhile, Prez Belusky is like, what does this have to do with the case? And all I can think is like, you you know, it's nice to have like a really dumb, smart guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that's he's like the perfect guy. He's almost like the Butchie of like the major crimes unit. Like Butchie is like uh, he's not dumb. He's blind. So he, you know, can't fucking. He can't really snitch. He, you know, he's just not a a reliable witness. And so because of that, people trust him. Presbaluski is a fucking moron. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no way that Presbaluski is going to be able to snitch either because he was like, I don't know. I thought you were just looking for a criminal named Teresa Diagostino who works for the Democratic <laughs> National Convention. <laughs> um, but yes, we Man, find out. Presbaluski describing the high tech phones with like speed dial on them and like the thrill of that extreme technology makes me nostalgic for an era where we weren't being packaged up into little identity modules to make us easier to advertise to just imagine a phone that had speed dial and nothing else yes a phone that just like here's a list of my friends i now don't have to (laughs) dial their numbers no more that's all i need i'm you know uh, are you gonna um are you going to tell your children about smartphones? Or are you going to keep that a secret as long as possible? As long as possible, man. Same. I don't know. I, like, have they invented yet the, like, uh, has there been a resurgence of, like, the, the old school flip phone that has no internet connectivity? Mm. Is that is that a thing yet? Because, like, that, I'm okay with, you know, my daughter having a phone. I just don't want her to also be able to go on the internet, you know? 
Yeah, my daughter is currently like impressed by a stick, and I feel like <laughs> giving her bingly bangly, jingly jangly, like yes. high tech toys would be to rob her of the joy of the stick. Exactly. Like, yeah. Let her have a long on ramp to that kind of completely jaded pleasure. Agree. Yeah, just let them enjoy bubbles until they're eighteen, then they can do whatever they want. I'm, 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 that's kind of dad I'm gonna be, um, but yes, uh, McNulty. Uh, one uh, one of the crazy things he does that really reminds me of Hannibal Lecter is he uh, once he gets the information about where Teresa works, he calls uh, her workplace and basically social engineers uh, a he basically figures out a way to get someone to say exactly where she's gonna be and at what time. Um, and I don't know if you guys are big Red Dragon fans um, or uh, or Manhunter, but the scene also exists in Michael Mann's Manhunter. Um, but uh, there's a scene where Hannibal Lecter calls up uh, like Will Graham's office and or is like calls up someone who he's trying to get in touch. You know, he's trying to find Will Graham so he can, you know, send the tooth fairy over to kill him. And uh, he basically is able to convince someone over the phone to give his home address out. It's almost the exact same scenario, but um, like more fucky. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a I have a clip of that. <laughs> Catch FedEx in about five minutes. I hate to bother Dr. Bloom about it. Home. Because he told Linda to send it the night I want to get her into trouble. Um, it's right there in their Rolodex or whatever. I'll dance at your wedding if you read it to me. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really not supposed to. Be a darling and flip that little old rascal and I won't take up any more of your time. Graham, comma, well. Is that not exactly what he does yes. in the episode? Yes. I'm, yeah. uh, McNulty is my favorite type of like sociopath because he is so horny and like it's it's just he's he's you forget about how he is uh, a psycho because he's so relatably horny and uh, <laughs> it's you know but the, well, you know behind yeah. his eyes is just a, a drunken Irish horn dog. Well, I like the my my favorite McNulty scene in this uh, episode is when Daniels, his like new benefactor, is telling him that he's basically, you know, cut loose. He's gonna be back on the boat or whatever. Yeah. Uh, as soon as he's done with his detail, and he just sort of shrugs and is like, ah, well, alas, and yeah. <laughs> goes on with his day because he's incapable of like thinking more than like twenty minutes ahead. Yeah, exactly. And he has no instinct for self-preservation. I think my least favorite McNulty scene in this is the face he makes um, when D'Agostino says, uh, dream on it. Uh, mm-hmm. And his like horny face is the most disgusting thing. <laughs> yes. I, I have, uh, I have the clip of Teresa and McNulty. I can get a James. Bushmills. Okay. That's Protestant whiskey. Price is right. Ain't it? Make it neat. Excuse me. You drive all the way down here to look at me from across the room and then leave? It's kind of creepy. You look occupied. Him? Honey, that's just business. This ain't my kind of crowd. Definitely not. Yeah, well, I made a mistake, so I'm gonna go. 4.28? Give me two hours, McNulty? Mm-hmm. What am I gonna do for two hours? Dream on. Oh. 
Oh, you cut off the face. I cut off the face. Yeah, it's because oh. it's too disgusting. It was too disgusting. I had to <laughs> like censor it for you too. You can see preempting with the eyebrow work, and then it's just sliding into full gross yeah. fallen dog. Yeah, he just turns <laughs> into a throbbing cock. Uh, yeah, he is. Um, he is a very horny guy, but you know, I gotta say, and this is something I enjoy that uh, about the wire is that their their casting decisions, um, like I think. Teresa Diagostino is so hot and she's so hot because she's also uh, like a regular person. She's like a real, like she, she's not, uh, it's like the same thing with Rhonda, you know, like the Rhonda character is just another one who is like, what if we fucking didn't cast the show with all fucking supermodels like what if it looked like actual fucking like she actually looks like someone who would be friends with debbie wasserman schultz you know what i mean like she's hot in the way that people are hot not in the yeah. way that money is hot yes exactly she's hot in the way that like like things were hot before ai came and took all hot people's jobs no but like <laughs> It's just, it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's something about the whole Teresa character where I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, McNulty, you're crazy. Your only interaction with her before that was the one time you guys had sex and she immediately kicked you out. And you're like, I think I'm in love with this girl. On the other hand, <laughs> body banging. She's very beautiful. I just I want have to a say. trivia. I have a trivia note Ooh. Uh, based on that scene. Okay. Yeah. About Bushmills. That's Protestant whiskey. Yeah, is it? Yeah. Uh, the widely accepted Irish-American version is that Jameson is Catholic whiskey and Bushmills is Protestant whiskey, but that's merely based on geography. Bushmills is from Northern Ireland, predominantly Protestant region, and Jameson is from Cork, Catholic country. Uh, Jameson was pretty much founded in 1780 when John Jameson, a Scottish guy, purchased the Bow Distillery, uh, with the Bow Street Distillery, which at the time was one of the biggest distilleries in Ireland. Now, it's important to note that the Scottish Reformation occurred in 1560. So It is important favor, to note that. Uh, well, odds are in favor of the founder of the Jameson Distillery being Scottish was a damn Protestant. Mm. Bushmills, on the other hand, was officially licensed in 1608 by King James I of Bible fame. And despite its location deep in the heart of Protestant country, uh, has a Catholic as a master distiller. Oh, man. so That's crazy. James, uh, it's perfect that uh, McNulty... You know, he he only knows like a small kernel of uh, geographical slash uh, historical knowledge. You know, right. And, uh, this is what his drunk he's... uncle told him once. Yeah, right, exactly. He was six and also drunk. Right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And of course, it has to do with alcohol specifically. <laughs> like he's like he's Irish when it comes to anything drinking, and it drinking makes... or fighting, drinking or fighting. Yeah. He likes to drink. He likes to fight. You it's know also the I mean? excuse he uses for not wearing a condom. That's right. It's like, oh, the Pope says you're not allowed to wear condoms. <laughs> We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. Alice, am I doing a good Irish accent? <laughs> Is it sound right? You've, you've, you've been to Ireland. I have, yes. As somebody who's currently in the UK, I'm just saying I'm glad there's a good seal on my headphones. <laughs> I, think, I think that the Irish around, if, if they had heard through the headphones, they'd be like, 
oh, Alice must be talking to a real life Irishman. Yeah, yeah. She can't let that sound get out. Otherwise, all the neighborhood cats would start drinking and fighting each other. Yeah, you're about as convincingly uh, Irish as um, Littlefinger is Baltimorean. <laughs> By the way, uh, my other favorite thing about that scene is uh, Teresa D'Agostino is trying to explain to McNulty why she has gotten the hotel room. And she's like, yeah, I, you know, it's all the way across town. I don't want to get a DUI. Yeah, it's and one McNulty, DUI away. McNulty's just sort of like casually stroking his chin. And it's like, ah, oh, a DUI, you yeah. say. A, a DUI what? <laughs> <laughs> so in your world, one doesn't drive drunk? Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Why did you choose this job and not policeman? Because <laughs> if you policeman, you drink drive all time. T.I. smart. One fuck? That's my <laughs> McNulty inner monologue. <laughs> Horny drink guy. Um, <laughs> I'm in a room full of people that don't drink and drive. God, this party sucks. Yeah, that's this sucks. Yeah, this, this is not my crowd. Yeah, this, <laughs> not, not enough people vomiting and crying. <laughs> um but yeah, uh, we'll see, you know, as that relationship blooms, what happens between Teresa D'Agostino and Jimmy McNulty. Uh, Teresa, meanwhile, is spending this episode um, once again trying to convince Carchetti that he's crazy for thinking that he should fucking, you know, run for mayor. And uh, and again, we'll see what happens with that. You know, they slow roll in the mayor stuff, but uh, eventually... It's going to be like half the show is going to be about, uh, about yeah, Carcetti. They're going to fast roll it someday. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's pretty much everything that happens, uh, you know, plus or minus a couple of things. Let's, uh, let's talk about, is there anything that I missed or is there anything, you know, that, uh, your favorite scene, your least favorite scene? I've got to say, my weirdly, my favorite scene is the baby scene with Kima. Oh, um, yes, because it's so, it's so upsetting. It's, it's so, so real. <laughs> I, I, I actually have a clip of that. I, uh, I forgot to mention that. To me, is like it's very real. Watching Kima turn into McNulty, and then the consequences of that is like kind of wild sarcasm how come you can talk to everybody else but me do you really want to know i'm listening i miss us do not blame that baby i didn't do this by myself we discussed it all of it we talked about it yeah but i didn't have as much to say about it as you and why not because you you wanted this I didn't want to disappoint you on it. I don't think I could be more disappointed than I am right now. You know, we've talked a bit about Sonia Sone in this show kind of having like two modes, uh, scoffing mm -hmm. and running. <laughs> um, but for me, this was like, oh, yeah, she she is good. And I love this character. That's yeah. that's how I felt yeah. about it. It's also, 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 can I just say, if you're the partner in this circumstance coming home to the mother who's been with the baby all day and all night and worried about you, um, and she goes, you need to leave, you don't fucking leave. Like, the whole... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. 
That's true. You know, like you just don't, you just don't leave. Like I, I, I have a few friends or like acquaintances who are like, oh yeah, we broke up when my baby was four months old. I'm like, nobody's sane. Like yeah. you don't get to make that decision. Nobody in the house is sane. Like you yes. just have to be there and fucking deal with it. Like, yes. Yeah. Literally you are legally insane for the first 18 months. Yeah, you don't get to make any life changing decisions. You none. stick around until the baby yeah. is three and then you decide whether you hate each have, other or not. Yeah. Have a full night's sleep. Exactly, exactly. Because, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I hadn't thought about that, but it's like, yeah, Kima is at this point, like, manifested this. Like, she has been basically like, hey, McNulty is my spirit animal this season. I'm going to do everything he does. Because, like, she loves the job and she loves that McNulty doesn't give a fuck. Um, But... Then as soon as she's hit with those like consequences, as soon as she's like speaking her mind, her drunk ass mind in the middle of the night about like, I don't even want this baby. Yeah. Uh, it's just like, ugh, I don't know. You see. Yeah, that, it's also that thing of like, but you were my mummy. It's like, fuck <laughs> fuck yourself. That's Man a- up. <laughs> That's 100% true. It was like, remember, we, it used to be just you and me. You was my mommy. I would drink from your titties. And now, ba- I'll be completely honest. I Seeing my wife breastfeed so much, I, I will a little bit be like, those used to be mine. <laughs> and now baby has all of the milk. Yeah, but so Kima takes that and she's like, well, I could stay here in the house with uh, my partner who's really mad at me. Or yeah. I could just pretend she was serious and go somewhere else and not do that. Yeah, and she yeah. just takes ultimate the easy moral way. cowardice. Yeah. Yes, completely. And sh- the first thing she does is she, uh, she goes up to uh, Caroline, who's uh, who's the like the unit's slang interpreter, <laughs> and is just like, uh, "Hey, um, can I stay at your place for a bit?" And uh, you know, it's you, you just kind of realize it's like, "Oh fuck!" Like her only friend is this person like because she can't ask mcnulty because mcnulty is just like i live on a trash can yeah, on top of a bunch a- of used condoms so <laughs> yeah, i don't really have, have a- an extra bed there's a cardboard box over there i don't know yeah uh you can sleep on the uh cum pile yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a disgusting man um but yeah i yeah, agree you can That's- sleep on the bunk beds that symbolize my absent children <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry I the pillows it. are wet because they're both full of tears <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it's, it's I don't sleep in that tears. bed. I don't sleep in that bed anymore because I got blood on it. I don't know why I was bleeding. Yeah, Sometimes I don't know I how bleed. to wash sheets. Oh uh, yes, uh, Vince. Sometimes you bleed when you drink. Um, <laughs> favorite, I, least favorite, something I missed. I talked about my favorites, which were uh, you know McNulty's blasé face about when Daniels tells him he's cutting him loose mm-hmm. uh, and being baffled at the idea of uh, at the concept of DUIs. Yeah. Uh, my least favorite was definitely watching Stringer just lick all of his fingers while he's eating. <laughs> my God, he uh, he definitely did not learn table manners in uh, business school. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty gross. Um, that was when you're that hot though i think like you're i like to be so hot that you can eat food gross and still fuck <laughs> that's wild to me um i actually uh, I, I have a clip of that as well you told her it's her son right 
Look, I just thought. What? Straight. How's she gonna take that shit? Go half crazy with it? I just. What? Man, she got a right to. What? Sorry. She gonna go see the cop. Think she's gonna talk to a lawyer first, ask him how to play it. Oh, Levy? The lawyer. Levy? I guess. Oh, you didn't ask that? What? Sorry. What? What? Hey, what, what up? What? My name's. What? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, everyone. So loud. Yeah, I was so a little bit loud. loud. It's on me. Uh, yeah, so. It's also when sometimes when you watch uh, him do that accent, you just realize he just, he feels like the more he mumbles, the more convincing it sounds. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, that's a smart way of, of uh, when, you know, if you don't know the accent, you just kind of, here, I'm going to be Irish again, but this time I'm mumbling. Oh, I could also use your lucky charm. Oh, way better, way better. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, all right, all right. I'll try that. Oh, we go to fight the Protestants. The king, we go to kill the king. <laughs> oh, I was thinking about killing the king. Do they say that? Uh, well, now that they have a king again, yeah. Oh, sick. Uh, and by they, I mean the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland, not Ireland, Ireland. No yeah, kingdom. Ireland, no, no kings. No. Exactly. No masters. <laughs> No kings. All right. Um, if I had to give this episode a letter grade, and I do, I'd give it a B plus. Vince, what would you give this episode? Yeah, definitely a solid B plus. Okay. All right. And uh, Alice, what would you give this episode if you had to give it a letter grade? I I have a moral objection to ranking art. Um, <laughs> That's fair. I just think it's you know if you're not the artist, then you have no idea kind of all of the things that have gone into it, and I just sort of generally dislike the way that people are kind of ranking of things, and that people will go to like. Uh, you know, something that's three and a half and it could be because it's half five stars and half one stars because it's divisive and therefore like, you know, passionate work of, um, 100%. but I understand it's part of the conceit of this show. So I'm going to go with a B plus. Okay. Oh, very very right. well done. Very, yeah. very well thought out. Well okay. thought out. And I appreciate it. If you hadn't done it, I would have asked you to complete this sentence spelling. And then you would say B <laughs> and then, uh, Disney. And then you say plus, and then I would have cut it together. And well, you would you would have said Disney, and I would have said uh, froze himself for future racism. <laughs> <laughs> well, it did get a uh, so it's a solid B. Disney froze himself <laughs> <laughs> for this episode of The Wire. And a solid A-plus of this episode of Pod Yourself the Wire. Alice Fraser, thank you so much for coming on the pod and talking The Wire with us. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. I'm so glad you came on. What, where can people find you? Uh, Patreon.com slash Alice Fraser, one-stop shop for all of my stand-up specials, podcasts, blogs, and my weekly writers' meetings where we write together. If you, you do whatever your thing is. All sorts of different people doing all sorts of different things come along, and we all write together and then chat about it. It's nice. I love it. So patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. And uh, you can listen to her on uh, Tea with Alice or The Gargle. And um, Alice, again, thank you. We really loved having you on. Thank you. Wires. Patreon.com slash broadcast. The $8 tier gets you a shout out and a street name. Vince, we have three 
new $8 patrons today. Only Are three? These people are slacking. I need They're more slacking. street names to give. So yeah. you guys get out there. Get out friends there. to start uh, becoming patrons. Borrow some money from friends if you don't have the money. That's right. Don't start tell up. them what it's for. Uh, start up a uh, fraudulent technology company. If you yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, make, a bit, make a submarine. Make a submarine. Uh, get into blood testing uh, technology. Are those submarine people dead yet? Yeah, they did. Oh, they went squishy squish. You think they got squishy squish? I think they yeah, went they found chunk. No, they found debris. Oh, squish. They went squishy. Well, at least it was fast. Yeah, real fast. Anyways, really, three, really fast. <laughs> three names. First is Derek Mitchell. Derek Mitchell. Mitch Buchanan. We're calling this guy Baywatch. Baywatch. I love it. Uh, next is Spencer Lee. Spence, we're calling this guy Speanut. Speanut. I love it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's like it's Peanut. Like peanut but yeah. Spencer. Speanut. And lastly, Louis uh, Maschmet. Mas- Mas- I'm going to call him Louis Mascot. This guy is the San Diego Chicken. <laughs> I love it. Louis Maschmet, the San Diego Chicken. I'm sure that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Mashmet? I don't know. San Diego Chicken. And that is your shout-outs for this week. If you want a shout-out, once again, patreon.com slash broadcast. The $8 tier gets you a shout-out. You also will get a bonus episode of the broadcast uh, every single week for the most part. And uh, so, yeah, if you if you want that, you get it. Broadcast at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, and concerns. Vince, what is the Google Voice number? 415-275-0030. All right, everyone. Thanks again so much for listening. And until next time, if you come at the king, you best not Not miss.
Ready to rock, Vince? Yes. You ready to rock, dude? Yay. You sound so ready to rock. I'm so ready to rock. Let's rock it. There we go. That's that energy I wanted. Someone who's rocking. Yeah. A rock out energy. I love rock. I'm annoyed that you're so much brighter than me. I got my light like right here. Right well, you know, you're, ba you're back. I don't know what else I got to do. There's nothing you got to do. You just got to live.